Support for this show comes from Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence and Loom help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Eater's Digest, a show about all things food and dining. I'm Amanda Clute, editor-in-chief of Eater. And I'm Daniel Janine, a producer at Eater. This week on the show, we are speaking with Amethyst Ganaway to talk about what restaurants can do in this moment to support the anti-police brutality protests and to support the Black community uh, in the coming months and years ahead. Uh, We are also going to talk to our reporters out in LA, Matthew Kang and Mona Holmes, about what it's been like to cover a surprise reopening uh, following the pandemic, or I guess during the pandemic, alongside all of these protests that are um, taking over Los Angeles. And then, Daniel, I think we have some important stories we need to get to, too. Yeah, a, f- a few. There's been some shakeups in the food media landscape. It's been it's been quite a couple weeks, I have to say. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot going on. So, uh, you know, let's let's just let's jump in. On the show, we have Amethyst Ganaway. Welcome to the show, Amethyst. Hello. Thank you for having me. Would you mind just telling us uh, what restaurant you work at or what, what you're doing in food? Yeah, so I'm actually still unemployed. <laughs> um, I have a lot of opportunities um, kind of with me right now, but I actually stopped working literally as coronavirus like started really, really mm-hmm. spreading here. Um, so, of course, that's like when everybody got laid off. Um, and I was supposed to be going to Boston for an internship with America's Test Kitchen. And mm. pretty much my whole life is on pause because of coronavirus. So I've been I've been sticking my foot into doing more writing. And um, I'm hoping to actually start my separate clubs where I'll be um, donating part of my proceeds to actually Black businesses here in Albuquerque and other places as well and other organizations. Like, I want to do something that I know is going to be long term. That's kind of where I'm at right now. Like, kind of just waiting for the world to figure out what is going to happen at this point. (laughs) Right. And how long have you been cooking? (laughs) 11 years. Well, 11 years total in restaurant industry. So I've done, I started off as a server and... I've done every single other possible thing you could do in a restaurant since then. So I guess this is a little general, but I wanted to first ask, what should restaurant owners be doing right now in this moment to support the Black community and also the protesters who are active um, and have been active for the last couple of weeks? Literally just kind of doing your job, what I know, which I know is a little difficult, obviously, given that we are in a pandemic, right? Like a lot of restaurants are probably still closed down. I know, I know at least out here in Albuquerque, a lot of places are still uh, operating at like half capacity. Um, so I understand that restaurants and owners right now are obviously going through their own thing. You know what I mean? Like they're already struggling. So I understand that. But I think at minimum, you can be out there. I mean, being vocal, right? So like, that's the, that's the biggest thing that we're seeing right now is a lot of people are posting, um, you know, their, their, their sympathies and, and whatever else. Um, and that's good. And that's a start, but 
I feel like we need to see action behind the words. So at minimum, like make, make you, you probably already have some sort of restaurant waste. Like you have something probably left over from the day or whatever, like see people, mm-hmm. see people that are out there. If you, you physically can't go out there because you have to be in your business. And, and I understand that you have to try to, you're trying to make your own money right now. You're trying to put things back together after what's going on right now with Corona. But I mean, utilize what you have, even if it's literally you just passing out cups of water. It's, it's summer. It's hot. Like people are out there for hours every single day. Give them a cup of water. I mean, that's simple. Um, and it's just like it's it's humane. It's human. It's something you should do for another person regardless. Um, and then I think kind of bigger picture is supporting other black businesses that are around you, um, highlighting Black restaurants, maybe that may be in your area that can't get the same level of attention that you might get, that don't have uh, the same foot traffic that you have, don't have the same social media presence. Highlight those places. Let those places also kind of have an opportunity to survive because they're already less likely to survive regardless. Um, but make sure that, you know, you reach out to people in your community. There's there's a lot and there's a lot of little ways. So I don't want people to think that they have to like directly go out there and and be you know feet on the pavement um because that's it's impossible for everyone to do but do something (laughs) so i guess that at the end of the day just do something and even something like water at least proves that you're supporting what's going on right 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 it's and it's like i said and it it shouldn't cost you anything (laughs) like i mean even bathrooms like i've noticed a lot of restaurateurs just opening their spaces so people can use the bathroom because they're out there for hours at a time and need somewhere to stop or just somewhere to cool off yeah exactly um to that to that end can you talk a little bit about the need for third places and and what the third place really can be because i think restaurateurs are very aware of the concept of this place between work and home but i I think there's a broader interpretation of what that can be. Right. Uh, so, I mean, even for me, third third places was a new term. And I think having an actual term, put it even into perspective for myself. And I, and I think that maybe, maybe that's another way that restaurants need to be looking at it. Like working as restaurant, working in a restaurant as long as I have, I've never considered that it's that type of place, right? Like you don't, consciously think of oh this is a space that I'm purposely going here to to you know commune with other people like you don't think of it in that way so I think just by kind of being more meaningful and mindful Mm -hmm. of what you are actually providing beyond you know just um food obviously I mean you know you're coming in there for an experience but really using what your dining experience is to kind of encompass other things that people need. I mean, we need, we need sustenance. We need food. We need that communion between us, but to know what that actually really stands for on a, on a more figurative sense, I guess, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. we need places to be able to actually communicate with each other and, and exchange ideas. And, you know, I mean, it's the same way, like, you know, for, for cook, for cooks or whatever, right. We'll all go to the bar after, after a shift and right. we'll hash out whatever issues we had that day. And, and, <laughs> You know, because we know we got to come back to it tomorrow. So I think to kind of look at it, look at it in that aspect from your your from your experience that you wanted to provide to your guests. Um, so 
by saying that though, you have to be inclusive. And when you, when you say that you want to be yeah. inclusive, you have to really, really, really mean that. And I mean, it's something as simple as, you know, I understand that some places may need to, to they feel like they need to have a dress code or whatever, but think about what you may be, you know, saying with with no words by saying saying to somebody that they can't come in here because they dress a certain way or or whatever the case may be um so i think just actually really being inclusive i think uh, we're we're totally uh guilty of this but i think the more you think about food as art i think you slowly start to drift away from remembering or from being conscious of how important it is and how like it, it started as a sustenance thing. It started right. as like hospitality is not about your cooking skill. Hospitality is about making people feel warm in a space. Exactly. Exactly. And, and I, like I said, I think, I think the main thing is being actually mindful of it. Right. Like you, right. like we get so caught up in, again, I know how hard it is to, to run a business, to run a restaurant. <laughs> like I get that you have 18 million other things on your plate and you're, this is probably the last thing, but it should not be the last thing on your mind. Are you happy with how the restaurant community has responded to the protests, especially in light of all of the activity around COVID? It's mixed because like I, like I said in the, in the Eater article, you know, you, you have those people, you have those chefs and they're usually chefs that you look up to, right. That we've all really thought we're probably going to have something to say. And it's like, okay, we are really, really, really pushing for, um, the, the PPP or whatever it is and, and to save your restaurants. But like, I also understand that you obviously don't want your businesses destroyed by random riders. But again, when you, when you start looking at the, the smaller picture of things, instead of like why this is happening on a, on a larger scale and you find yourself, you know, either ignoring it or kind of doing or saying whatever, just because it's what's hip right now, essentially. Um, then I kind of do feel some type of way. So like, but the ones that are doing something and, and have been doing things, I'm especially proud to see that because I mean, it's, it, it is a risk. Like I said, I mean, you, people can cough and you can get sick and die. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. just that yeah. level of being able to say, you know what, we're going to take this, we're going to take a risk because we're going to take a stand. Um, it is inspiring. Yeah. It's like there, I mean, there, there were the restaurants that were so vocal about PPP and about government intervention. And then they, <laughs> cause so it's like, you know, they can talk. Right. <laughs> right. You have, you can engage with thousands of people. You have a platform that is massive. And you make it very obvious. I mean, it's it, like social media, it's good for that, right? Like you literally can mm-hmm. see in real time that this person chose to speak out on this issue, but they're literally choosing to not say anything here. Like it's, and I don't like, I, I, I question it because I just like, I look at people, well, I look at these pages or whatever. And I'm just like, well, do you not see? Like, cause I see it. So how can you, I mean, it's on your Instagram page. Like <laughs> there's nothing there about one thing, but there's something else there. So it's, it's incredible. It's incredible to see. And six months from now, what do you think restaurants need to be doing to offer lasting support to the black community? Like beyond supporting protesters in this moment, what what should they be doing in terms of hiring, in terms of their menus and sourcing and communicating with their communities? So, I mean, first thing is do your research, right? Like there are black people and people of color that have been doing things in this industry that 
uh, don't get an opportunity again because maybe they don't have the same platform, right? So just do your research. Like there are now probably an an uncountable amount of number of like posts about food bloggers or farmers or or whoever. For example, Mm -hmm. COVID messed up so many people's um, purveyors, right? Um, for, for sourcing food and stuff. Okay. So mm-hmm. you probably have to find someone new now to, to get new ingredients from. How about you look for a black farmer? How about you look for, just look for somebody new, like bring somebody into the fold there. Um, give people opportunities. So like I mentioned before, kind of like, we want to talk about diversifying our staff. You need to do more than hiring one person of color to be on your staff. And that one person of color doesn't need to just be doing Mm-hmm. one thing like give them opportunities to progress pay them fairly talk about your wages with your entire staff right like be 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 transparent about your practices be transparent about what you believe in and what you stand for and what you're not going to stand for we know that that restaurants especially can be very divisive very aggressive um, um places to to already be just in general and we know they can be, be exceptionally so for, for Black people and people of color. Be loud. Be Like I said, be loud and be, be vocal about the, the same injustices that the, your employees are going to face in your kitchen or in your restaurant or in your dining room. They're going to face when they have to leave out and try to go home every day, too. So, like, be actually be considerate and compassionate, you know? So, like, it's, I don't know. It's, there's so many things. And at the end of the day, I want to say, like, just look within yourself and figure out how to be a a decent human being. Like I like understand that somebody else who doesn't look like you is experiencing something that you don't have to experience. So what can you do to be, to be helpful, to be proactive rather than reactive? Like I said, continue to support black businesses that are around you, support black farmers around you. I mean, it's like, give mm-hmm. talk to people like this like literally just doing simple things um i kind of mentioned in the article making your menu accessible that's for everybody like i go into a restaurant and i look at these menus sometimes i'm like okay so you put 18 words <laughs> for a caprice saying like why like, you know like actually make it make it readable make it understandable if you're going into a neighborhood where people probably have never heard of whatever you know what i'm saying like hey let me let me make sure that they understand what this is um, and introduce it in a way that, that is familiar to them <laughs> yeah. as well. M- makes, makes spaces feel good. I, I, that's such a, that's yeah. That goes double for restaurants owned by white people moving into black neighborhoods, which yeah. we see all, all the time um, across America. Absolutely. And I think if you need to be especially conscious of, what you're projecting out to the world right. if you are taking up that space. Right. I mean, you, 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 you go into these neighborhoods, I understand because property is cheap. Right. But then, and I've experienced this in my own hometown and other places I've, I've lived or whatever. And I go in this neighborhood and I go into this restaurant and I don't see anyone that looks like anybody in this neighborhood. You right. know what I mean? Like just, yeah. so just that alone, when I, when I walk up and I look into the dining. I look into the dining room. So not only is your staff not diverse, but neither is your your actual your dining your guest, right? Like so, but mm-hmm. you're in this neighborhood. So like, why should I have to feel uncomfortable when you came into my space? But since you're here, just hire somebody, teach somebody, right? Like, farm to table is the thing. Okay, well everybody can't have a farm. You can't 
how every, every urban neighborhood can't have an urban farm. But you could probably grow herbs or, or you know what I mean? Like, but so get, bring somebody in from the community to do that. Like, that's literally the, the first thing you could probably do, like I said, but I shouldn't have to walk into a space where I grew up my entire life and feel like I'm not welcome there anymore. If you open in a community and then you're, you're hyper conscious of like, how easy is it for my target demo to get here? That's probably right. the wrong, the wrong way to think about it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I was wondering if you could talk about why so many social movements take place inside of restaurants or at least gain a lot of momentum inside of restaurants. Not necessarily the one we are talking about right now, but just in general. I think it kind of goes back to what a third, a third space or third place is, right? Um, it's a, there are places where we already naturally find ourselves coming together already, right? Like, I don't know if it's just some innate behavior we have in us as humans to where we all want to sit together and, 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 and sup and actually be able to, to talk to one another or whatever. So I think it's kind of just like a natural, a natural thing to happen. Um, and then obviously like in, in more recent times, you know, you have things like the civil rights movement. And I, and I talked about the, the Woolworths uh, sit-ins. Um, so it's like restaurants are already places of protest because they were often places where people couldn't come in, you know? So, Mm -hmm. I mean, if I'm protesting, um, unjust behavior, of course, I'm going to protest the place where that unjust behavior is being applied. Um, so I think it's like a kind of double-edged sword. It's like a natural thing where people maybe already are coming in and, and having debates and, and, and whatever else, you know what I mean? Uh, Things get rowdy often in restaurants, but I think at the same time, restaurants need to look at what their actual role was most often, which it, it wasn't a good one. Um, so, and I mean, even with that, um, like why, right? Because again, it's, if it's such a natural thing for us to want to sit together, then why make it an unnatural thing to where people, again, don't feel comfortable or aren't allowed to be here or have to, you know, dine a different way or have a different dining experience um, when that shouldn't, it shouldn't be that way. You know, like naturally we should be able to just come together. But then, like I said, you you think about it and again, it goes back. Restaurants are always full of the isms. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. it it would also make sense that, like I said, this place that usually is really, really hostile would become the center of their, of, of protest themselves. So it's a volatile industry. So of course, like if you're, if you're, you can't go out here and, and talk about injustice on the street and not talk about it in your own house. <laughs> I mean, when right. it, you know what I mean? When it's happening right there, like in front of you. So I, I think it, it was, it's just as natural for it to be a place where things get started or, or where protests happen themselves just as much as they can be a place where you should be able to come and sit down and figure out ways for those, those same injustices to stop. Do you know at this point what, like, what do you want the future of your food businesses to be? I, my, for me personal, on a personal level, I hope that I make those spaces where people feel comfortable all the time, right? That, that's at the end of the day, um, me, I know that my purpose is to help people and I want to make people feel good and I want people to enjoy themselves. Even if it's just like you were talking about like hospitality, I want people to feel that little bit of hospitality, that little bit of home 
even if it's just for the hour they're here eating their meal, you know, like, or, or, or whatever, whatever they may be doing in the, in the restaurant or whatever the space in general. Um, and I hope for the future in general for restaurants that it, it can be that way. But I will say that to be, to be completely honest, I'm not fully hopeful that anytime soon things are going to be just kumbaya, let's hold hands and everything goes back to normal. <laughs> and, and you know what I mean? Like, I, I'm just, I, I, and I hope that it doesn't come off as me being a citizen, but like, mm-hmm. I just, it, when, when something has been happening for, for so long, it, it can't change overnight. Right. So that, so again, that work has to constantly be done and it has to be something that you are mindful of and that you put forth effort towards every single day. Um, it's just like if you're in a relationship with a person, right? Like you, you are, if you're in a restaurant or if you're in this industry, you are literally in a relationship with other people. That is your literal livelihood. So if you're not thinking about people first, what experience you want them to have and, and what you want them, you know, we talk about, Oh, well, I want my food. When people leave here, I want them to think about my food. I don't want people just to think about the food. (laughs) Like, I mean, yeah, that's cool. But like, there's it, there's so much more than just this one thing and i and i and i would love to be just so hopeful that things are going to change and you know people are going to get paid uh, equally and fairly and that you know you're not going to have the douchebag line cook that's making the inappropriate comments to you but <laughs> i also know that people are people you know what i mean like i you you're not going to be able to change every single person but i hope that um chefs and owners and whoever else, you know, people in, people in positions of power, essentially, um, find a way to, to make sure that they're weeding those people out of their businesses, whether it be, you know, a guest, a a cook or whoever, like, again, like make your stance on what you stand for. And if you, if you can do that now and actually stick to it, then maybe at some point down the line, things will be at least a little bit better. But I, I can't I can't honestly sit here and say, like I said, that I, I expect it to happen in a year or five years, <laughs> like at mm-hmm. all. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, that was going to be my last question is, are you hopeful? And I think <laughs> you are. You already answered it. It's like mm, almost. I want to be. I really do. And I and I and I really mean that because I obviously I love what I do. I love this industry. I love what it could stand for. I really do. You know, but I, again, I. Maybe that's my pessimism seeping in where it's just like, I know people just kind of suck. <laughs> like, there's, <laughs> like there's always going to be people who are trying to really do the right thing out here. Um, but I hope that they get a chance to finally come kind of come to the forefront instead of all the, 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 the kind of crappy people that usually take the spotlight and make things more difficult. Like if we start now, then yes, maybe at some point, things won't be so terrible. (laughs) Well, on that note, thank you so much for writing the piece and for taking the time to come on the show. Absolutely. Thank you all so much for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah, Keep us um, updated on all your projects. Absolutely. I sure will. Thank you to Amethyst Ganaway for coming on the show. You can read her piece, Restaurants Must Use This Moment to Change Too, on eater.com and follow her on Instagram and Twitter. Those links are in the description. On June 14th, your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley! It's anger! Let me at him! Ah. Fear! 
safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going! Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters June 14th. Get tickets now. Up next on the show, we are talking to Eater LA editor Matthew Kang and Eater LA reporter uh, Mona Holmes because LA, I think, has had one of the, I mean, just the wildest two or three weeks. I mean, New York, every every city's been crazy, but LA. Every city, yeah, LA, I think, is special, but really all of America right now. Right. I mean, we're at a point where most cities are at some level of reopening. Yeah. And dealing with some level of protests uh, and much of it happening all at the same time. With LA, I thought it was especially interesting because it was a surprise. Yeah. Like they weren't supposed to be reopening for a while. And then all of a sudden they did. It was announced like late Friday night or Friday afternoon. Um, And just as these places were starting to reopen, the protests hit. And this is a city that, um, you know, has a long history of dealing with um, police brutality and has had their own uprising um, following the beating of Rodney King. So I think it's interesting to look at that city specifically, though, of course, this is a nationwide issue. So here's Matthew Kang and Mona Holmes. What has what has the last couple of weeks been like for you guys? Crazy. Uh, <laughs> frenetic, actually. I mean, I don't know if you felt that way, Matt, but mm-hmm. like my I don't I don't mm-hmm. generally operate on a high level of anxiety, but the reopening and the protests and the everything along with the rollout were Definitely anxiety inducing. <laughs> what were the protests like for you all in Los Angeles? Um, that same weekend where it all began, um, I woke up and outside of being a reporter, I just wanted to see what was going on in, in our city. I just wanted to see it for myself. Um, and I drove around and just witnessed what reminded me of 1992 when after the Rodney King trial, I'd never seen Los Angeles. So in fact, I felt like there was more of a police presence than in comparison with 92. And, um, but one of my first stops was at Nancy Silverton's, um, Mossaplex and saw two of the restaurants. Cause you know, there's three in one of her, her little corridor. And one was completely bombed out with, um, there was a repair crew there uh, repairing windows. I saw her and spoke with her. She was explaining to me everything that happened. The Mac repair store right next door to her was completely emptied and burned out. And other than uh, stealing a ton of wine, um, they really didn't get away with very much. Um, But there was a pretty significant damage, but from according to her and um, some of her staff, it, it, they knew that they would be reopening within the week to be able to accommodate, um, you know, their sales. But they also have three restaurants to to be able to build from, so they were able to close that one and operate from the other. Um, so when I went a little bit further down to Beverly Hills, there was, you know, it was impossible to get anywhere. It was heavily, heavily cordoned off and policed in that very expensive area of Rodeo Drive. And I wanted to go see Massimo Batura's restaurant, um, Osteria um, Gucci. And, um, but it looks like I was able to get some photos, 
but um, apparently looters were not able to get inside and it was fairly secure, but it just felt very, just very, it just felt militarized and policed. I mean, like just, there were too many cops in one spot. It was a very odd feeling to, to witness all of that. Um, and then, so I made my way around there and Melrose and then decided to go into South LA where everything was quiet and peaceful. No burned out stores, nothing looted, um, nothing boarded up. Cause that's what I saw on my way through Beverly Hills and Hollywood were a lot of businesses that were burned up, uh, boarded up rather. And, but in South Los Angeles where the original protests and riots and uprising was, you didn't see that at all. So it totally shifted focus in terms of neighborhoods this time around. Sure. Can you talk about some of the things that restaurateurs are doing? I actually am very proud of the Los Angeles restaurant community. Um, I'm finding that their ability to rise in the moment has been just, just incredible. I received so many texts from, um, and not just with restaurants, but with people wanting to help them. I've, I received at least five texts from from people who are unemployed in the film industry and are bored because they don't have anything to do. And so they've been offering to go out and repair storefronts for restaurants or any businesses really, and make sure that all of their goods are secure. Um, you know, it's, I definitely feel, I'm feeling my city right now. Um, yeah. <laughs> and Matt, I know you guys also reported on what was happening in Santa Monica. Can you talk about what happened there? Yeah, uh, Santa Monica was the uh, one of the most heavily damaged uh, areas. I was there on Monday, uh, just after um, a combination of protests and looting. It was such an interesting contrast to see protests, mainly peaceful, um, happening uh, right on Ocean Avenue in front of the pier, and you know, seeing the drama of police basically surrounding protesters uh, all the while. On the other side of downtown Santa Monica, where there's a lot of retail stores and restaurants, they were being actively looted uh, and damaged, uh, and there wasn't necessarily police presence there to to prevent that. And I was like, okay, so what's going on here? And I think there was just that confusion of um, what is valuable, what what is the government or or the or the police department trying to say about the protests versus um, the damage that's happening. I think I think with stories like this, it can be easy for the media to focus on the damage as the main story because it is so visible and so easy to tell that story. But I know that we have to think a lot about, relatively speaking, the damage is nothing. And a lot of restaurateurs say that to mm -hmm. us um, because we are talking about lives and rights. So how do you go about it as reporters and editors trying to make sure you do cover what's happening while still being you know, cognizant of the bigger picture? Well, there's a story that I wrote on Monday um, about restaurants serving the protesters that were out in Hollywood. I don't know if you both have seen the footage of Hollywood and Highland um, where someone had a drone hovering over the um, upwards, some, some are saying that it's upwards of 50,000 people that were out there. Um, you know, there's no way that we couldn't, we had to cover that. Um, the the and, and I knew the restaurants that were within that area and as well as in Highland Park, one of the most highly gentrified 
parts of Los Angeles that's been transformed from a predominantly Latino community into one that's not so much. So, so I knew that I had to get out to talk to restaurants in those two areas and, um, and focus on the positive nature of this and, and just the inherent nature of restaurants, which is what, what, is, what do they do? They serve the communities that they're in. They're part of those the communities that they're in. And, and so to visit uh, this one Italian man, Francesco Zimone, who owns um, Antica Pizzeria, which original, originated in Italy. And he just basically served the people who were out there. Um, you know, he set up shop on the sidewalk. Um, you know, he's doing what he does as a restaurant owner, which is basically to, you know, people came in and asked to use the bathroom, people came in to eat. He had his regular customers coming in too. And so there was a convergence of both groups of people who just wanted something to eat and people who, um, and weren't protesting and as well as the protesters that were really grateful to have something there because they realized in the thick of it, you know, oh my God, I need to do something. And then there was something that happened similar in mm -hmm. Highland Park where Gold Belly Burger that's in a temporary storefront you know, and basically he sells these delicious burgers out of the front and um, of his store. And he'd never really had groups of people gathering um, to sit down and eat like he did on that mm. Sunday where it was a really beautiful scene and he lives close by. And so he, you know, he has a stake in the community. Um, that to me is something to emphasize versus property loss, which... I mean, you said it, Amanda, you know, can be replaced, but lives and dignity can't. So yeah. to, to really focus on that, I feel can better serve Los Angeles, which has a huge, long history of brutal policing. Um, you know, Matt, you were eight years old. I was not. I was 22. <laughs> and I, I do remember when <laughs> Daryl Gates, the police chief, resigned and and there was all, there were all of these cries saying like, okay, we need to change how we look at things. And they did. So, so I look at that as, you know, I, I mean, there were so many deaths. There were so much violence. My husband lived here at the time before we even met. He was renting a place in the Hollywood Hills and was looking at fire after fire throughout town back then. And, um, and I feel like the media so emphasized that, that everything in the messaging was lost of a community that had been long ignored, who didn't really get any significant investment in it until the, the NFL stadium started to be built only five years ago, um, that felt at a loss and could only get things through stealing looting and I have a side that's a little bit more empathetic to their to their plight because you know I grew up in a privileged um, house like 20 minutes away and because they are absolutely desperate and don't feel valued by anyone and received significant harassment from the cops and so I understood that but I knew that that keep to continue to bring the message back to where it needed to be was essential and not only just for the businesses that are here and the residents that are here, but also in the honor of people who experience um, police brutality from this, this historically brutal police department. I felt like we had to, to approach it that way. And I feel it's irresponsible to do to approach it otherwise. It seems like even talking to a small handful of restaurants 
who were in New York or in LA or in, in some, in, in a way, like in the way of the protests or like, you know, had a, a vantage point in general, they were all, I mean, they were like proud to have been there, like proud to have the protest march outside of their restaurant. I thought that like, that's a pretty cool thing. I feel like for the restaurant community, at least the vocal ones that we see to have projected. For sure. What is the vibe right now amongst restaurants? Are Is there some reopening? Are, are, are people dining out in LA uh, as we speak? I had my first meal on um, Monday um, at Roberta's in Culver City. Really? <laughs> <laughs> I did, I did. I have I have a I have a good relationship with Carly. He said, "Just come eat. I'll feed you." I said, "I yeah. don't know. I'm just not not sure. I'm not. I didn't know what his setup was like. Um, you know, they are so freaking excited to serve people, and um, you know, I feel like that is absolutely the vibe. And and there's a another element that's missing from it, like. We, how many nights were we under curfew, Matt? Was it four or five in a row? Um, and, and it was really, really badly rolled out. <laughs> we were, um, you know, we would suddenly get an emergency message on our phones that is always kind of shocking and a little bit jarring. Um, and so a couple of times we would get a message from mm-hmm. the city of Los Angeles saying, there is a 6 p.m. curfew. And uh, I'm like, okay, yeah, I mean, not surprised about that. So I'll, I'll go ahead and do it. And then in a couple of cases, a couple of days, we received another message from the sheriff's office saying that the curfew was not at six or at a different time. And, and so everyone, just, or, or there was one where it was like, no, actually it's at five. And, and it was, that gave us 20 minutes to prepare. And so everyone was just kind of like, I mean, regular civilians were like, oh, my God, this is awful. But if you're a restaurant that's been preparing to open for a week, it was it was um, I got a text from a couple of people that were ready to tear their hair out because, you know, it's not just them like, oh, my God, we got to close. They got to account for the food that they bought. They got to account for the stuff they brought on that they have. Yeah, they finally bring their front of house staff back only for them not to work. 100 percent. And so it was a little it was a little frustrating for them for sure and and people were angry about it and i perused facebook and twitter i mean everywhere and people were so angry with the mayor with the sheriff um for that element of it and um and so they expressed their anger but restaurants really felt the the bite of that the the full bite of it and so so when it Mm -hmm. came to reopening they were just like okay thank god and so you know and people were and the customers were pretty pretty eager to be there and looking around at one another. He had nothing but outdoor seating, very, very yeah. spaced out. Um, and, and so you, you accumulate all of that, all that craziness. And, and now there's just an excitement, happiness about being able to reopen from restaurants. At least that's what I've been, been hearing from restaurant owners. Rochelle and I, we went to go get uh, norms, which is like a little <laughs> chain of uh, like uh, what do you, it's like a diner, you know, based in Southern California and we went the first morning that they were allowed to open sometime last week and you know they they were following all the protocols mm-hmm. so well you know a lot of spacing um yeah i mean the they had temporary menus usually their menus are those big you know plastic covered uh <laughs> things that have like a hundred million menu items 
and you know our server's wearing a full face shield <laughs> like i was like man this is uh this is very intense when we were almost done with our, our meal one of the guys in the dining room was like hey guys let's let's all give a hand to our service what? you know this the service staff and and everything and everyone just started clapping <laughs> it was like 9 a.m you know and i was like you know yeah this is awesome and i think people are very appreciative um and they're excited to go eat again certainly there's questions about whether we even should be dining mm -hmm. inside enclosed spaces and and all those questions will come um, but I do think that there's just a palpable feeling of excitement from people who just want pancakes and eggs now, oh. you know, and they're just sick of cooking. I feel it. that. You said a mouthful. <laughs> no more bread for a while. No more bread. No more quarantine bread. <laughs> well, thank you both for all your hard work in the last couple of weeks. And I'm sure there's going to be a busy couple of weeks coming up. So get some rest and thank you for coming on the show. Thanks. Thanks for having us. So, Daniel, we don't have a ton of time to cover a ton of stories, um, but there's one big one I think we really need to talk about. Yeah, I think we do. There have been some major shakeups inside Bon Appetit, the food magazine and popular YouTube channel. Uh, biggest one is that its editor-in-chief resigned this week after a public outcry because journalist and sometime sometimes eater contributor, Tammy Teclamarium posted a photo on Twitter of Adam and his wife at a Halloween party where they were wearing kind of, they were wearing offensive costumes. They yeah. were, they, um, they were in brown face basically. Right. Uh, and I think there could have been a world in which he profusely apologized and, talked about how wrong it was and how it was, you know, a 15 year old picture and maybe things would have ended differently. But this was the beginning of a cascade of other complaints and allegations against him, um, which can be summed up in that he created a, or cultivated a toxic work environment mm -hmm. for, especially for people of color. So after his resignation, an article came out in Business Insider talking about all of the other things that were going on. I think most appallingly, he had a personal assistant who, um, or an editorial assistant. It wasn't like she was supposed to be doing his personal stuff, but she was getting paid $35,000 a year. She had to wash his golf club. She had to get his son's passport for him. She had to teach his wife how to use Google Calendar. He texted her on the weekends. Um, she complained to HR about it multiple times. She didn't get a raise in over two years there, mm -hmm. even though Condé Nast made a giant donation recently to a charity for race, racial justice. So th that was just like one of many, many, many complaints. I think uh, Tammy actually deserves a little bit more credit than just for the for the tweet. She's been I mean, she's if you been, follow her she's on Twitter, been really, really on it. And I suggest you do. She's at Tammy ETC. She's been on this for a while now, mm -hmm. and she's really the driving force behind this. Uh, yes, after after Adam, she moved on to Matt Ducker, uh, who was running all of their video programs. And the accusation against him was that he's responsible for not paying uh, people of color the same amount as some of their white uh, YouTube celebrities and a, no a number of other terrible things. They were, they dug up a number of his, um, racist and sexist tweets, homophobic tweets. It's pretty, it's pretty bad. I've actually talked to some people who have worked there 
And I mean, everyone is happy. Uh-huh. It's like, it seems like a giant root has been removed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the fact that so many people, people were willing to go on the record and speak out and speak mm-hmm. out on Twitter and speak out on Instagram, I think it just shows the lack of support for those mm-hmm. two individuals. Um, I mean, maybe they do have supporters and they just, there's, it's impossible to support them in this moment publicly, but it, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it just, uh, yeah, there seemed to be a groundswell like that. People were, can you imagine? I play golf with rap every Thursday after work. <laughs> we go to Chelsea Piers and smash balls. He's a good guy. Yeah. He always brings like dope scotch. It's pretty rare. It's funny. People have been asking me if I knew about any of this, um, because of course, as anyone, I love media gossip, but I always knew the magazine was broy, yeah, and clicky, but I didn't know that this was going on. Uh, are you? There was an are, example in the Business Insider piece saying like people there call each other by their last names as an example of a masculine environment, and I find that so funny because it's so true. There are that's a, a weird thing in the bro side of food media. Yeah, that I, I was shocked because I mean, in high school, kids like called each other by their last names and then I didn't really see that again until some certain food media people just being like oh yeah dude it's such a strange it was a weird thing I don't think I've ever called anyone just by their last name really (laughs) yeah I just can't I'm trying to think of a world in which that would come up where I'm just like Janine has anyone ever called yes men (laughs) yeah the only people who called me Clute as like a reference to me have been men. Are you optimistic like about the future of Bon App? Like, do you think, do you think they're going to be able to like come into work Monday and start? I think they, it's, it's probably a very stressful time for everyone who works there, but I'm yeah. optimistic that, you know, change is happening. I think it's better now than it was before when people had these problems and no one knew about it or the people who knew about it weren't doing anything about it. Well, I'm excited. I'm, I'm truly uh, excited to see what they roll out with the video program. Yeah. I mean, there's the, the, the internet is watching and <laughs> it I is hope, funny I hope it's when good. you base so much of your success on the popularity of personalities. Mm-hmm. Um, the followers of those personalities then become very impassioned. So I think Mm -hmm. the outcry from the -the run-of-the-mill fan was pretty loud because they were so passionate about the Bon Appetit universe. Yeah, especially when that channel for so many people served as a homey comfort and just like something... And you think that they're them. all, they pushed it as one big happy family, you know, because they appear in each other's videos, everybody's getting along. And then if you follow all their Instagrams and like all the yeah. backstories, it's like, whoa. You need to smile more. Here's $3,000. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> okay, uh, Daniel. Um, I think we are out of time for today. Oh, that's it? That's our one story? What about that's the- That's our one what, story. Well, can I just tell you about one thing really quickly? In the UK, Burger King launched a social distance Whopper, which just has three times the onions. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great one to end on. Okay. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. If you like the show, please share it with a friend. Please review us on the podcast platform of your choice. And tune in next week when we have more things to talk about. 